Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, insert local joke here, I'm Dave Fletcher, and I'm not ashamed to admit I'm an atheist. Enlightenment made America strong, and it can do it again. This episode is a special episode, a holiday treat for all our listeners, and it features an interview I did with a man named Jeremiah Bannister. And the interview comes from my other show, Reality Check. So what you've got here is a podcast within a podcast, uh, an inception cast, I suppose. Just to give you a little context for the interview and why I think it'll be worth your time to listen to, uh, Jeremiah, known as the Paleocrat online, has been an activist for much of his life. And up until recently, he was an activist on, I guess what you'd call, the other side. This is a guy who was a theologian, studied apologetics, was a preacher, um, involved in a real-life hate group that opposed both women's rights and gay rights. Um, He was an ultra-conservative Mel Gibson-style Catholic. Um, He actually had a a debate or two with our own Justin Schieber in his previous life. And now, for the very first time, he shares his story in a public forum of how he became a skeptic. This is a guy known throughout the internet and the real world amongst religious and political conservatives who has now become an atheist. And for the first time ever, literally the first time he has told this story out loud, is presented here to you today. We'll be having Jeremiah back on the show in 2012 to talk about presuppositionalism, one of his major fields of study, and Possibly other things, too, so stay tuned for that. But also, if you like him, if you're as fascinated by his story as I am, and if you want to hear him talk about more issues, you can hear him on public reality radio five days a week starting December 19th from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can listen online at publicrealityradio.org. You can also listen through our mobile apps for both Android and Apple iOS. And you can download the episodes from the website, uh, publicrealityradio.org, and shortly thereafter, they will be available on iTunes as well. Also, of course, um, you can listen to Reality Check as well. Um, I won't be offended by that. That's more about politics and social justice than religion, but um, there's a lot of religion too. So, you know, do me a favor. Listen to Reality Check 2. Find it on iTunes by searching Reality Check WPRR. That'll get you to the correct show. Uh, Some of you will uh, probably like it, although probably not the libertarians. Sorry about that. Anyway, so here's my interview with Jeremiah Bannister, um, his story of apostasy, his gospel of doubt, as it were. This is Reality Check, your weekly dose of reality right here on Reality Radio. 
WPRR Ada Grand Rapids and W237CZ Hudsonville, 1680 AM and 95.3 FM, and streaming at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher, and today I am quite pleased to introduce our audience to someone you're going to be hearing a lot more from on Public Reality Radio, someone who, like many of the best um, activists, both the atheist activists, which is primarily what we'll be talking about today, as well as political activists, is someone who has been to the other side, who started off um, at a very different place than where he is now. Joining me here in the studio is the paleocrat himself, Jeremiah Bannister. Welcome, Jeremiah. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, we'll get to exactly what it means to be a paleocrat uh, later on. Now, Jeremiah, you have a fascinating story, uh, one of the more uh, fascinating and complex I've heard, of someone who went from one end of the spectrum to the other. And I'm wondering if you can share some of that story here with our audience. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. I'm glad you actually said this about how the best, the the best atheist activists, the people out there who are making the most significant impact Mm -hmm. are by and large people who have gone through this and not only on personal experience and having been raised in that kind of an environment, but having been actively involved politically, theologically, ecclesiologically, Involved in church, having gone to Bible college, whatever it is, and all of a sudden later on in life, for whatever reason and circumstance, they they leave. They apostatize. Yeah, right. And and their arguments – and the reason why, I mean, it's, it's kind of a common sense thing – is that they have been on the other side. Mm-hmm. And they've studied it and they understand the arguments in favor of it. And sometimes the more successful – and I, I think we'll talk a little bit about that with presuppositionalism. Right, right. Which, yeah. And, and nothing to discount people like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, who, who never were religious. They're, of, of course, course uh, uh, brilliant as well. But there is a different thing at play um, in the mind of someone who has been religious when it comes to arguing against religious people. And I'm not talking about informal debates necessarily. I'm just talking about um, thinking about these ideas. That's right. So the, the process wherein and whereby – this whole thing took place. And so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of context about me. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a home that was, uh, if you take my mom's side, had apostatized from Catholicism mm, after yes. Vatican II. After Vatican II took place, and this kind of became a major theme in my own life, and that was kind of the end of it for me too was the Vatican II, right. interestingly enough. Which happened well before you were born. Well before we I was born. That's right. Well before I was born. And but, but with Vatican II, it, it brought in this ecumenism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the more traditional types within Catholicism were very frustrated by it. Some of them loved it, and and there was this tension. There still is, but my my mother's side had left Catholicism, embraced uh, Protestantism, and specifically a, a kind through the Jesus movement, very charismatic, mm-hmm. very uh, Bible church oriented, and yet still kind of involved with Pentecostalism, Church of God, Assemblies of God, a lot of non denominational churches. Which is an interesting reaction to something like Vatican II because what Vatican II did was attempt to make the Catholic Church more accessible to the masses. No longer – pun uh, intended, I suppose, on masses. Um, (laughs) They no longer did uh, purely Latin masses. Um, They introduced the common language into it, um, took out a lot of the 
really old school ritual. So for then for your mom's family to go, eh, we don't like them making these changes and making it more modern, we're going to go and become evangelical Christians? Well, in in, in their defense, what happened with them and and it was kind of different for me. That was my that was my position mm-hmm. when I was a Catholic. I said this is wrong that they made these changes. My right. my grandfather, on the other hand, he was engaging in, in uh, communal worship with Protestants, hmm. which that was brand new. That you could commune in the sacred with people who were not Catholic right. was completely forbidden. Okay, for one thousand nine hundred and sixty years, yeah, completely right, right. forbidden. And all of a sudden, now it's okay and it's cool and even mm-hmm. trendy. And so that started happening, and and people started realizing, well, you know, what's the point of just staying here when I can go next door, and hmm. and maybe the music's better, or, you know, <laughs> I, I like I like the carpet more, and so, right. and so that was with them. My dad, on the other hand, you know, he was a very religious individual. He had a religious experience when he was in his early twenties, and it it really radically changed the way he viewed the world and the way he viewed other people. And so I was raised in this home that was pretty passionate about the Bible, pretty passionate about wanting to look at it in a way to try to be the purest possible uh, interpreter of Scripture and applying it to your life in in the most robust and well-rounded way. And so that was the context wherein I was raised. And my my dad was passionate. My dad was one of those guys who always used to tell me, and this is really the, the crux of the issue, and this stuck with me forever, even today. He said, Jeremiah, he said, no matter what, there's something out there called truth. And he said, we struggle with it, Mm -hmm. we search for it, we strive to embrace it and embody this. He said, wherever it leads, don't be afraid. Follow it where it leads, let it take you where it may, enjoy the ride, but be passionate about it, be observant, be cautious, and try to do your best at all times. Mm -hmm. You know, despise mediocrity. And that's what he that's what he taught me. And if there's nothing else that I I still embrace from my father, it's kind of the general the general idea of this that we're no matter where this stuff leads, I'm willing to go for the ride. Yeah, and and that is by the way, parents out there who want to keep your children religious, that is the worst advice you can give them. It is. It it is the worst advice. Once, especially in this digital age where we can access any belief system right. with the simple click of a mouse. You know, or just touching a screen with your finger yeah, right. at this point. And so before, before that made sense because there was there was kind of a framework for them for the generation before us, where they only had access to a certain amount of of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so these things, I mean, you had sure you had your public library, but by and large, the but way you have that to use the card catalog, you got no the card catalog, no one wants to have to do it. And so, so to them, the the access that they had was pretty limited. The framework right. of knowledge and, and and belief systems that they had could kind of keep you within that paradigm right. because that was what was prevalent. Mm-hmm. But now, in this radically decentralized world of information, yeah. where you can just access anything at any moment mm-hmm. and be anywhere, right? That's no longer the case. So when they say, "Hey, you know, search for truth no matter what," well, if you're if all the things that you can search in are within the paradigm of Christianity, that's going to be pretty safe to say, but not now. Right. Okay, not now. And so parents, yeah, if parents don't want their kids to to become secularists and everything right. else, listen, don't tell them to just search for truth and let it lead where it may because that's, right. that's what's going to happen. And there's a re- that's a reason, that's, and let's be fair, that's a reason why so many people are leaving Christianity in, yeah. in mass. Mm-hmm. People are leaving left and right day after day, and for all different reasons. But so that was how I was raised. I was raised in this kind of a home at 18 years old, but I didn't believe it. You know, I went to Christian school. Mm-hmm. I thought the book of Acts was spelled A-X-E, for example. 
And <laughs> that I, is amazing to I did. me. I but, did. I thought it was called AXE, and you it, know. <laughs> it was about it was about what uh, people chopping down. Well, trees. I, I I thought if you asked me what what's your mental image, Jeremiah, when you think of the book of Acts, okay, <laughs> when, when when you think of it, what's your mental image? I would have told you, well, some kind some medieval type thing, you know, fables and and trees, right? I, <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, there are trees and and kind of this plush green grass and and everything else, and and so I, I was completely. Really, I was pretty ignorant of it. In fact, mm-hmm. my worst class, interestingly enough, my worst class in high school yeah. and all growing up was Bible. It was, the, really? I, it was the worst. This radically changed at 18 years of age. Mm. At 18 years old, I had, I had a very uh, dramatic experience. I was homeless. Mm. I had run away from home. My senior year of high school, I graduated from my high, Christian high school being homeless. I, I was So sleeping. you kept going to school. I kept going to school. Wow. And, That's you know, dedication. It was, you know, and so, uh, and it was during the winter time when I when I ran away, and so I, you know, I had this place, and there's st- it's still there. There is this this uh, there's a number of bushes on Gogwak Street in Battle Creek near 27th and Gogwak, and that's where I stayed. And I, and I had a uh, garbage bag full of clothes and a wow. chunky bar and some Starlight Mints that I put in this in this rundown trailer back along the way, and. So I would go there, and I didn't want to stay in this rundown trailer because the windows were broken, and, and it was quite obvious that raccoons and different yeah. things were going there. And I said, well, of course, I'm sleeping under a bush. There's raccoons outside, too. <laughs> That's true. But the kind of fear I had at the time, my grandma took me in uh, once she realized that I'd been homeless for months out in the streets. Wow. And, you know, I, I would take showers at friends' houses, mm-hmm. and, and if it got too cold, I mean, I, I had broken in. I hope I don't incriminate myself. I'd broken into people's garages, you oh. know, and, and said, I need to stay warm. I mean, I feel like I'm dying here. Right. And so it was a tough time for me. Wow. Now, at 18 years of age, I had this religious con- uh, conversion at my grandmother's house. And this it, is your, your mom's my, mom? My dad's mom. Your dad's mom. My dad's okay. mom. My, mom. my mom's family's in, in Pennsylvania where she resides now. Ah. We we lived for a while there, and we moved here to be near the Bannister side of the family in Battle Creek, Michigan. And so you're born and raised in West Michigan, too. Yes, I'm born and always raised. Always fun to see an, an yeah. apostate from West Michigan. <laughs> from yeah. this area. Yeah. And so so immediately after that, I got involved. Now, this is 1996, mm-hmm. and I graduated in 1996. And at that time, you had the Toronto Blessing movement going mm-hmm. on at the Toronto Vineyard. You had the Pensacola outpouring, mm-hmm. uh, the Pensacola revival going on down there. So very, very, very charismatic. Yeah. Pentecostal manifestation-oriented events and, and movements. Right. I was part of this, and a lot of them were involved in Word Faith. A lot of them as TBN. I didn't know any better, and so I, you know, I, I kind of was following these things. Mm-hmm. I, I liked a lot of these guys, and I started reading books. And prior to that, growing up, I said, well, you know, it's mainly comic books and stuff like that. I was not interested. Nothing in wrong with that. That's right. Nothing wrong with it. I, st- I still <laughs> listen. You got to come to my house, my library. I have an entire section that's just comics. I, me too. <laughs> so, me too. so we, uh, I started reading, and decided I want to go to Bible college. I got I got rejected from Rod Parsley's uh, Bible college in Ohio because I hadn't been a Christian long enough. But Christ Boy. for the Nations hmm. in Dallas, Texas, where my parents had gone. Yeah. For a short time, they they accepted me, and so I went down to Christ for the Nations. It's a Pentecostal Bible College affiliated to some degree with the Assemblies of God. Mm. So I go down there, and everything's working out fine and dandy, and you know I'm doing my thing. I'm starting to study and, and read, and it, it all started with philosophy, really. I I went to a Barnes and Noble there, and I saw this section, this philosophy section. Now I had never read any 
philosophy, much less mm-hmm. – hard. I mean hardly any books, much less philosophy. Right. And Hadn't so read I, the Bible. Had, yeah, that was right. when you believed in it. Yeah, right. anything else? And yeah. so, so I go there and I see all these, these words and I made a decision that day and this kind of gives people an idea for who I am now in maybe in a weird way. I looked at these books and I said, I don't know what these words are, epistemology, metaphysics. I mean what, what, mm-hmm. what is this? And so I decided that I wasn't going to open up a single book. Instead, for 30 days, I was going to commit to looking at the books and seeing the names and writing them down and going home and looking. At that time, there was no internet per se. Right. To go then and look up in dictionaries to find out what these words mean. Hmm. And after 30 days, That's I – a very interesting approach to it. Yeah. I like that a lot. And so I started, I started learning all these words before I even approached the book. Mm-hmm. And so finally, I decided I was going to pick up this book. And I picked it up, and it was Will to Power by Frederick Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no idea who Whoa. Frederick Nietzsche is, but that's the first philosophy book, and I have that exact copy. Do I have you? that. I have that to this day. Yes. Wow. And so, so that was the first, the first book. The second one I picked up was Being in Nothingness by Jean Paul Sartre, which it, at least you started off easy, right? <laughs> that's right. Nietzsche yeah, right. and Sartre. Nietzsche and really Sartre, right? Uh-huh. Low balling. <laughs> so, so. I started I started reading this, and during this time, I, I went to an RA's room, and it was the RA on my floor, and there was a debate going on between him and the lead RA for all the men on campus, and they were debating this thing called predestination. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to it, and I'm, I'm totally agreeing with this – with the RA from my floor, not for preference to him, mm-hmm. but because of his arguments. And I said, boy, that sounds legit. I said, this guy's using the Bible. He's – I'm hearing debate happening. I'm hearing apologetics for the first time. Was he arguing for or against He was arguing for it. He, uh-huh. was, he was a closet Calvinist. See, I'm, I, I was a full-blooded Calvinist growing well, up. So that's what I became. Predestination runs yeah. through my veins. Well, yeah. that's, that's what I became. And so, so we talked that night, and the next day was the first time I went to a Calvinist denomination, and mm-hmm. that was the Presbyterian, it was the PCA right. uh, down, in, down in Dallas. I went there the next morning, and... Within the week, somebody was giving me a bunch of books, and they gave me the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And I said, well, boy, right here is pretty predestination right yeah. there. <laughs> said, so what are the odds, you know? Proof and, is in the pudding that's right, right there. They, they had a Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. And, and mm-hmm. so, so this is where I first begin studying theology. Mm-hmm. Okay, This is where I really get into trying to understand theology from kind of a historical perspective here. Mm-hmm. So caused quite a controversy because I started becoming very passionate about this stuff, and I started studying Things dealing with apologetics, <clears throat> systematic theology and the like, right. even eschatology from a perspective other than just end times mm-hmm. rapturism. And so it caused a little bit of controversy. I, I then uh, – after two years being there, I went to Christ for the Nations, the sister school in Vancouver, Canada. Mm-hmm. And so I transferred. So I'm up in Vancouver, Canada doing much the same thing, get in trouble with them because of my position at that time on women being pastors. And, and your position was? My position was that of Paul. And I said mm, – pa- Paul, mm, big fan of the ladies, yeah, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, Paul, Paul loved the women. Yeah. And, right, you know, don't don't teach or usurp authority over a man. Be silent in church. Mm-hmm. All these different things, you know, that, that man is the head of woman. And so you have all of these things. And I, I remember I asked this question. You know, I, I posed it to them. And they, they told me, they said, well, you know, the reason why was because it was cultural. And that's a really popular answer a lot of yes. moderns give to this because most modern Christians are far more secular than they realize. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, yes. They, they really are. And even at, or even after the last hundred years to see the changes in women's attire mm-hmm. and the role they play in church and everything else. Right. And so they, they told me, oh, it's, it's because it's cultural. And I said, well, the problem with that is this, this, this one word. 
And I said, right after he says, you can't teach or usurp authority over man, he uses the word for, F-O-R, comma. And I said, that's introducing the rationale. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say, for the culture doesn't allow them to go to school. Right. Okay. So wait till they're educated. Exactly. Okay. Wait till they're, we, we have this culture. Wait a, a few different. centuries wait and few, things will change. That's right. right. Just, just wait a little while. This is progressive. <laughs> Instead, he says, for it was Eve who sinned first. He goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Oh, yeah. Paul does. Yeah. And he says that it's basically within the very de- design. That Adam was created first, Eve sinned first, bottom line, end of story. Mm-hmm. That's not a cultural argument. Right. That's design mm-hmm. to Paul. So I embrace that position. Now, I stumbled upon this, this store in Washington just over the border called Puritan House of Books. And I go in there. I'm thinking, oh, this sounds pretty cool. Puritan House Puritan of Books. Puritan House of Books. And Wonderful. So I walk in, and want, they're really cool people, the people who own the place. And I, to this day, I, I think they're great people. They have buckles on their shoes and hats <laughs> and stuff. No, no. No, they didn't have that. But they you know, they were very, very uh, family-oriented, very homeschooled their kids. They were very into yeah. making things and, and, and hunting and doing different things. And so they did a lot of cool stuff, arts and crafts and everything. But their books were all historical Protestant and Puritan books. They were not modern things Mm -hmm. with rare exception. So as a Calvinist, this kind of new Calvinist for about a year and a half, I was into R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul is a very popular and prominent Calvinist in the United States. And I was into his stuff, and I saw that they had some stuff by him. But there was a debate between him and this guy named Greg Bonson. Mm -hmm. Never heard of Greg Bonson. Right. And I said, okay, what's this? Presuppositional apologetics, evidential apologetics. I said, okay, I'm 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 learning about apologetics, but I, I've never heard this whole presuppositionalism thing. Right. And so I buy this with the assumption that Sproul is just going to mop the floor with this Bonson. Of guy. course, he's and, your right? guy. He's my right? guy. Yeah. So I get it, and uh, probably 15 minutes into it, that's what I was doing. Uh, I I had no idea. <laughs> okay, I had no idea that this was going to happen. I'm listening to this Bonson character. And he's he's really just just a powerhouse, and he's coming against Sproul, and Sproul by the end, I mean, it was it was almost sad to hear. Mm. And so I said, well, I need to get into this presuppositionalism thing, you know. So I start studying it. Come on to Van Til, uh, oh, R.J. Yeah. Rush, Dooney, you know, Bonson, you know, all these different individuals, even Clark and others. And so I get into them. I start studying, and I and this of course leads me to theonomy, where you start studying the Old Testament law. And how it applies, which then all of a sudden you're dealing with Gary DeMar, you're dealing with Kenneth Gentry, you're dealing with, uh, uh, um, you know, you're dealing with a whole host of individuals, Gary North, I mean, Scary Gary, you know, you're dealing with with Gary, with Gary North, who, and these individuals, most of them defend things like stoning, for example. Right. And they do. And and, and they're in our midst. They they really make these arguments, and, and their argument really is very Christian. I mean, this is the thing. They they actually said, and this is the scary part, actually, in my opinion, is that the argument is that that if the Bible is God's word from front to back, and we can't take or we can't take away, and we can't add anything to it, and if what God says is true at all times and in all places and to all people, then if God spoke about laws, and and most modern most modern Christians love the Ten Commandments, but they forget that that's within the context. Of of a greater number of, of chapters, you yes. know, Exodus twenty one through twenty three, a whole host of case laws, and the book of Leviticus. That's right, is, the book of Leviticus. You know, you know, they love saying, "Well, homosexuality is an abomination." You say, "Yeah, that next part, right? There's a semicolon. It's right. not done. It's not done. There's a semicolon. The next thing follows, and you say, "What's the next thing?" And it says, "The blood shall be upon their head." Yeah, right. And it's within it's within the context of, of capital punishment. Yes. And so they say, "Well, if God." 
if God's word said that this should be done, we can't A, say that it's evil, mm-hmm. and B, say that it's at least not some in some way applicable right, to everybody, and especially in light of what Moses decides to say in Deuteronomy. He goes and he says, he says that all these nations around us will see this law code and say that there's no nation as great as this with, with codes that are more just than these mm-hmm. and wise and that God is so close to the people. And if this is true, nations around them would include us. Right. Right. We, we even just historically looking yes. back and saying, you know, can we still say that now when we look at the the laws regarding menstruation cycles and the laws regarding send them out to the, uh, <laughs> right. the tent for yeah, a, a send week them out to the, the tent. Month. Don't yep. don't sit on that don't sit on that stool. All right. That's yes. that was a, it was a woman there, and and so there's all these different things. The the stoning of unruly children. Mm-hmm. Right. The, yeah. the burning the the burning of of. Uh, daughters of priests who were involved in any kind of strange worship or involved right. in any kind of uh, prostitution, and so all of these laws, even even ones regarding concubines and yeah. and everything, and people forget that's there. <laughs> yeah. People forget that these laws are part of are part of the Old Testament, and, the, and it's never as if there's a big asterisk there and says. Just disregard all these. These are just for Israel. This was time and place. This is time and place, but the Ten yep. Commandments is forever. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, yep. and, and so Christians, they, they like to do this, but getting back to the story. As, as I'm beginning to study this, I'm, I'm embracing this, and, and I, I get involved in uh, pastoral stuff after this. You know, I, I leave college there. I went to the Navy for a short period of time. I did some work with uh, youth in at, uh, a youth ministry organization down in Chicago, and then I was signing into the military to, it, up in Lansing here at the MEP station. I was signing in on 9/11, and mm. so as I'm signing in, the planes hit. Boom. So this wasn't as a result of 9/11. This is this is you were there on the day. I was there on yeah. the day. Yes, and I was signing in. I had about two pages left worth of signing, mm-hmm. and there was a, a, a girl over in the other room just screams. I mean, crying, and people are freaking out and running to this room. And so I go run over there, yeah. and there, the first plane had hit. Wow. And so I were watching live in there, and the second plane hits, and we look over to the officers, and they're they're looking at each other. We knew at this point. Something, yeah, <laughs> right. And, it, and we were on lockdown. It was it was kind of a code red situation. We were given seventy two hours of the of the myriad of people there the night before, just just teeming with bravado. Mm. There was probably about seven of us who stayed, and I so I don't blame them for leaving. They were scared. Yeah, different things, you know. Well, it's different up signing up signing for the military during peacetime mm-hmm. than when we have um, you know America clearly being attacked by Iraq. No, that, wait, that's not how it <laughs> that's, that's right. That's not – yeah. And so so they went home. So I, st- I, I stayed in. I was in for a while and moved over to uh, Groton, Connecticut, the submarine base over there. And once I was uh, once I was no longer part of the Navy, we we moved to Trenton, New Jersey. I was asked to – By the way, Navy is the best one to go into when we're at war with a, a desert-faring people. Yeah, that's, that's right because you're you – know, Safest place to be. Safest place to be and, and submarines are really good because you know we, we have a long a long history of doing really well with submarines. And, and were you on a submarine? I, I never made it that far into it oh. where I was actually on a submarine, but I worked on a submarine base. I guarded the submarines. My friends were on submarines. My yeah. friends were actually part of uh, some of the first missiles to hit Iraq in shock and awe. Wow. Because uh, a lot of those came from the submarines. Yeah, and so, that's true. Yes, I, I don't mean to say that the navy is, of course, not involved. It's that's I'm, right. I'm, I'm joking. Right. Yeah, the navy yeah. does plenty. They, but, do, yeah. they do plenty, almost as much as the air force. And so, <laughs> so we we moved to Trenton, New Jersey. We were asked by a friend of mine who I had met in Dallas, Texas. He went to Southwestern Assemblies, 
and the university over there. And he asked me to work with his youth group. And so I go there and I'm working with his youth group and I get involved in activism. It's the first time I've ever really gotten involved with it. We protested two things, and one of them landed me in the news. Well, three things. One of them landed me in the newspaper. Uh, one of them was I, I protested in front of a grade school. Totally surprised to them. I show up to a grade school <laughs> with signs that said "Keep Christ in Christmas." Literally. Oh, this was a public school. This is a public school. Of course. And I did it, and I knew what I was doing. I did it right as they the kids were getting on the buses and leaving. Wow. So it wasn't as if I'm there while they're in class. Yeah, I was yeah. there as they're leaving. Police come up to me saying, "But they're also walking out past. They're walking you, out so they're past me. Seeing. That's right. Yeah. They're all seeing me. People are, you know, some of them are cheering, some of them are, you know, yelling and making fun. But I was there doing this, and and that was just you. It was just me. Yes. Wow. Heck of a protest. That's right. Heck of a protest. And I, of course, this is before I really got involved in activism. I didn't really understand how things worked. Right. But I, I knew that I was really passionate about this as the youth pastor of this church and talking to kids. And so, so we then, I did this thing where I, I went on a fast and it lasted almost two weeks. And every single day, what I would do is I had these signs that talked about Jesus and I would walk the streets all in that entire area. And mm -hmm. I would march the streets for hours and hours and hours each day. And so people were getting attention to this thing and saying, I mean, who's this guy walking in? And during that time, I was fasting at the same time. So it's right. kind of an interesting thing. And then the third one that I did, there was some students one of the schools there in New Jersey who were going to my youth group and they came very frustrated one day and said that they, their school had done a, a day dedicated to the LGBT community. Mm. It was not on the calendar. And that was really the, the clincher for, for me at the time. Mm. I said it wasn't on the academic calendar. The parents weren't informed that it was going to happen. So every class was dedicated not to the topic for the day, but to talk about people in the LGBT community who may have been, let's say, a mathematician or a writer oh, in English. Interesting. And then at the end of the day, the Gay-Straight Alliance on campus there, or the Triangle Club, whichever one it was, mm -hmm. they were hosting an event, and students could either go to this event where there was food in a movie, yeah. or they had to stay in the, in the study hall and do work, and they weren't allowed to talk. So there was an incentive to go to this program. Yeah, of course. The program had a, a movie that you, you, you could watch, and I don't recall the name of it now, but the, there was a, a young boy in the movie who was gay, and mm. his parents were Christian. And it, it showed the bigotry. It showed the persecution mm. and the fear that he went through. Right. And so all this stuff's going on. Parents have no clue this is happening. Mm. So the students come to me. So what I do, I decide we're going to put together this protest and go to this school. Yeah. And we're going to protest in front of this school. This, w this was a public school? Public school. Public school. Yeah. So, okay. we, so we go and – it ends up being a, a, a thunderstorm. There's lightning everywhere, all this stuff. And so – The wrath of God. That's right. Providence yeah. wasn't on our side. And so people <laughs> – we weren't able to get all the people we wanted there. But I ended up having a meeting with the, with the president – or the, the principal of school and I had this, uh, this pamphlet that I had, I had written called a traditionalist view of marriage or a traditionalist view of, of the LGBT community or something along these lines. Wow. And it was, I don't know, 15 pages long and, and I handed it to him. And – you know, saying, "Hey, listen, if you want to, if you want to talk about it from this perspective, at least try to be fair." And so that's so I, I tried. I didn't use Bible verses at all. Mm -hmm. I, I simply used uh, different arguments that people make from which medical is good order. because, frankly, there are not many good Bible that's verses right. to use in reference <laughs> no, to homosexuality. No, there's not. Yeah. And so, but that got the attention of John Tomaki, who w was the founder and president of the New Jersey League of American Families. He was one of the, I believe, first delegates for National Right to Life. 
he was very, very active with them. He was part of Operation Rescue. He was yes. a big voice in Operation Rescue. So it's one of the, these anti-abortion, anti-gay, yes. anti anti quote-unquote, family family groups. Orient, yeah, family groups. Yeah. And so he contacted me and said, I want to, I want to meet you. You're in the paper. You know, you're, yeah. there's different things. There's, you're our kind of guy. You're our kind of guy. And the... Uh, I believe it's the New Jersey Bar Association. Every year, they there's votes that go on in a pretty authoritative magazine on this issue that talk about the most powerful people in the state. And he was listed as the sixth most powerful lobbyist in the state and the twentieth most powerful individual in the state. And so it was kind of it was kind of an interesting interesting guy to work for. So I go in. He's he's rather old. So we're we're talking and everything. And that's kind of my introduction to activism. And without going into great detail about that, the way it ended. With with him and, and this situation was in 2004, uh, a bunch of Republicans, including him, these, these kind of power and policy wonks, contacted me and they said, hey, listen, we want you to do research on the Democrats and abortion. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's Kerry versus Bush this year. We need to to really attack these Democrats and abortion. So I go online and begin looking and finding things that you – know, sure, I found a lot about Democrats. Right. But I found an awful lot about Republicans and George W. Mm-hmm. Bush, his wife. Uh, you know, uh, Alberto Gonzalez. I mean, yeah. all these different things. And it was so troublesome to me how much money they were so, g- giving uh, abortion clinics through different ty- different entitlements in, in our code. And and that's with a Republican Congress and a Republican president. And so I, I put this stack of papers together and I, I say, OK, we're going to we're going to meet up. And so I talk to these guys and we're in the cafeteria in the state house, mm-hmm. and they're sitting across from me. And I said, listen, we go into churches. And we're telling people that these guys are pro-life and that this is really what's it, what's it, what it's right. about. How do we explain this then? And they the looked actual at me, record. The actual yeah. record. Yep. And, I, and I had a stack of paper and they saw it. Mm-hmm. And they, they looked at me and they said, Jeremiah, this election is bigger than you. It's bigger than us. And I said, well, yeah. I said, but this is integrity. I said, we're, we're going into churches. Let me remind you. Right. <laughs> so we're, we claim to be Christian. We're going into churches. And this is what we're doing. And we're, we're telling people to give us money yeah. and to vote for these individuals. Which is, by the way – Kind of not legal if you're a a 501c3 and churches, if they want to keep their uh, tax-exempt status, they should not be having in in groups that are saying, vote for this guy. But they do it all the time. They do it all the time. All the time. Every single time. And you've been there. I've been there firsthand. Mm -hmm. And so so I told them, and they they looked at me, and they said, Jeremiah – well, I asked them. I said, are are you denying any of this? And they said, no. They said, this is all true. We've known this. Um, which is well, just stunning to me. Yeah, yeah. And they said, if you go public with this information, mm-hmm. you will never, ever work in New Jersey, New Jersey politics for the rest of your life. Never. Now, what, what a shame. Well, I, lo- I looked at them and I said, do you promise me? <laughs> I did. I, I'm, I'm sitting there in the Capitol building. And I'm looking around thinking, boy, this is really happening to me. And I said, do you promise me, please? And, and, they, and they said, good day, sir. And they all got up and walked off. So that night I wrote a letter to the Trenton Times, mm-hmm. uh, the, the equivalent of the Lansing State Journal here, right. and put my name in there and, and kind of blew, blew a whistle on them, and it was published the very next morning. Wow. And so I was done. That was the end of my yeah. my time there. No more Jersey politics for That's you. right. No more New Jersey politics. Now, I, I did work for a while with the Constitution Party after that because mm-hmm. the Republican Party yeah. was, was frustrating. I was a national delegate. Yeah. So I was in Philadelphia when they for Perutka and everything else and met them and met a bunch of other individuals. That's a story of its own. But, you know, I still did pastoral work. Now, we had some children or we had a child. And my parents, you know, told at, me. Hey, at we, what point along the line here did you and your your now wife meet? Yes, uh, we we met in 2002. 
Okay. Uh, so I was in the, I was in the, in Navy, the Navy. Yes. And I came home on leave mm-hmm. and I met her and I'll give you the, the real short version. I met her uh, at this bar. And at that time, after 9-11, you come home in Navy Blues into a town where the Navy's That's not all there. That's you need. You're the man. Yeah. Okay? yeah. And you're drunk. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody is buying you drinks after 9-11. They're crying and saying, oh, we love you. You're helping. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I, you know, I'm drunk out of my mind and I, I'm, I'm playing pool in this, you know, I, I meet up with her and she's this beautiful Asian woman, you know, and I said, man, she's just gorgeous. And so, so we met, we hung out and, and two days later after going to a club the night before she comes to the house and apparently we had talked. I, I don't recall the conversation. I was yes. relatively hungover. Yeah, yeah. So she comes in the house and I'm laying down and she, she taps me on the shoulder. My eyes just kind of peek open a little bit and I see this beautiful woman mm-hmm. sitting there and she says, do you remember me? And I said, yes. And she goes, are you mad I'm here? And I said, no. She said, are you hungry? And I said, yes. And she goes, do you like Burger King? And all of a sudden, you got to imagine I'm laying on the bed, so I'm only seeing the horizon of that bed, that mattress. And up over the side of the mattress comes a bag of Burger King. <laughs> and it was like those King commercials. Like I was just waiting for the King to show up in the background and these cartoon birds to like right. land on his shoulders. Right. And, and it was that moment. Honestly, no joke. I said, I said, I have to be with this girl. I said, and from that point on, we've been together. We've never parted ways. Yeah. And um, now, so, what if you don't mind my asking, what yeah. was her religious background? She was she was also raised in the same kind of churches. In fact, we we had kind of an overlap for a while. She knew of me. Oh. I didn't know of her. She mm-hmm. knew of me. Of course, and, you were a bit of a celebrity. Yeah, I was. I, I, was yeah. I was a bit of a celebrity. You know, especially in the local revival movement and stuff mm-hmm. like this. And so, she, and my sister went to the same high school. And so they kind of knew each other a little bit vaguely, and I, one of her best friends had a crush on me, and so they kind of – she heard stories about me. Mm-hmm. And and that so once we met, you know, she kind of knew a little bit about me. I didn't really know much about her, but we've been getting to know each other for for 10 years, and that, our ninth anniversary was November 26th of uh, this year. And Congratulations. So thank you very That's much. Wonderful. And so we, we had our first, Samantha. Yes. We now have four. Yeah. And we're done. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. We're done. And See, that's part of the story, too. We went to five. But yeah, you went to five. Uh, we're and, masochists. That's right. And uh, and so we moved back home at the, at the behest of my parents who, you know, could not imagine having – not being around my children. Yeah. And, and they, you know, my mom was crying. So, man, I just I, – I, I hate the idea of not being around. So we moved to Battle Creek. So I left a lot of things in New Jersey mm-hmm. uh, for Battle Creek. And – I get back there and I'm, I'm involved with the Constitution Party for a little while. The last day I was at the Constitution Party uh, with them, there, well, the second to last one, I'll tell you this first. The second to last one, I'm sitting there and and talking to these individuals and they're talking about what the problems are in society. And one of one of the people raises their hand and says, you know what the problem is? And I mean, it's the most random question. I mean, it's kind of so open ended, right. you know, as if there's the problem. There's yes. just one the problem. Exactly. And and no joke, he said. He said it's all the damn Jews. And I and everybody in the room, complete silence. Mm-hmm. And and to their merit, they're they marginalized the guy, right? Yeah. But I said, I said, man, where am I? What what? Yeah. Where am I finding myself? This was at this not point? this was not the view of the Constitution. That's party. right. It's not this the was view. This one. This is one guy. Yeah. Yes. And so. So they kind of marched off and said, "Well, just scratch this, okay? No, we're not going to write this down." And so that does not go in the minutes right. for this meeting. So that, but that made me start to wonder, you know, who am I surrounding myself by? Yeah. What is this? Mm-hmm. And then, and then the last meeting I went to, they're sitting there and they're talking about credit card companies and the power of credit card companies and usury and things of this nature. And all of a sudden, 
they bring up we need to do this law. And I, and I said, well, we're the Constitution Party. I said, I'm not exactly sure the constitutional dynamic of this argument. And the person sat there and said, well, but you know what? It, it's uh, it, the Antichrist is coming. And I and I it just kind of it took me back. I said, we're this is a, a political party. I said, we're we're talking about credit cards and you're, and you're bringing up the Antichrist. And she's talking about six, six, six. She's talking about wow. all these things. And I said I, and they voted and approved what they wanted to do. And that was the primary driving force because the, 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 the Antichrist, fear of the Antichrist. And I said, oh, enough's enough. Yeah. I said, I, I said, this is a, this even though you were still religiously conservative. Yes. At this point. That's right. But and, and politically conservative, politically conservative. But. but I had embraced preterism. I had embraced a view that said that the book of Revelation, except for the millennium, uh, which which was not really a, an actual 1,000 years, mm-hmm. that that was completely done and was describing right. 80, 70 A.D. Something that had already yeah, happened. Something, yes, something, the siege of Israel, and that 666, which is there's technically two numbers, it's 666 and 616, there's two different and, yeah, numbers. Yeah, 616 being the local area code in Grand Rapids, that's Michigan. That's right, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Michigan so that's the Antichrist. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, and so... I had taken the position that Nero Caesar was was the beast, which is uh, fairly historically. Um, it is the historic position. Yeah, exactly. It is. And, it is the historic position that went on for a long, long, long time. It's the one that that a lot of modern Christians miss because they they think of this as this is the end times. It this doesn't is what's make coming. money. It's not. What it it's doesn't. About. It exactly. doesn't make money. You can't. You know, a couple of people, Hank Hannon Graff wrote a book. Trying to to detail this and make it dramatized, right. uh, you know, you compare that to the Left Behind series. I mean, you you, exactly. you do you do yep. movies and books. Throw on, Kirk Cameron in them. Throw Kirk Cameron, and all of a sudden you've got you've got a a, a C a B movie blockbuster. Yes. <laughs> so so the uh, so I so I was a predator, but I had left. I, I left the Constitution Party, and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do from there. And so I, I ended up. Taking a job where I was kind of this ecumenical individual at a place called CityLink in Battle Creek that, that networks as many of these churches as they can together. And so I'm working with them, and somebody comes to me and says, hey, listen, you know, our, our church is dying, and uh, we've heard a lot about you, and, and we've we've listened to you and heard your appeal, and we, we really would like to have you come and speak and maybe consider taking a position with us. And I said, mm-hmm. fine. Wow. So I go, and, and I didn't realize when he said his church was dying that he really did mean actually dying. Like, he was... He was the second youngest person there, and if I remember the age when he came in, when I, when he showed up, it was 69 years of age. And He's the second youngest the second person youngest, at 69. The, yes, the youngest was his nephew who was always just brought there by right. them, and he was, if I remember correctly, 14 or 15 years yeah, old. Okay. So everybody else, I mean, it was wow. it was it was literally dying. Not a big nursery group. Yeah, <laughs> no. Sunday no, school zero, was kind yeah, of a, There was no such thing as the nursery yeah. there. And but the facility could facilitate that. In fact, they had rooms downstairs, and so they had kind of the infrastructure for this yeah. kind of a church. They just didn't have the people. They didn't have the people. Yeah. And I so I go there with my with my youth group, my my youth oriented sermon. I walk in there and I go, Oh, are you kidding me? Holy I said, What am I going to do? And I and so I, I did this sermon. And I walked out and I said, Angela, there's no way. To my wife Angela. Yeah. And she goes, Yes, there is, and you're going to do it. And I said, You're absolutely crazy. And she goes, I know you. She said, I know that you actually care mm-hmm. and that you would like to see this. There's not money in it, right? You know, but it's it's your beliefs, and and I think that you can make this make this happen. Within a very short period of time, I I, I took the position. I was the associate pastor, youth pastor, and worship leader for this church because prior to that, they were playing Andy Griffith hymns on CD, and, and the pastor would get up Excellent. there and he, yeah, he'd say, you know, I remember growing up and. There's a little brown church in the veil. Let's sing that right now. And I'm thinking, oh, good, good Lord. 
So this is this is how it was working. So we brought in music. We had a, a, my friend. He was a drummer. He's now a skeptic as well. Mm. My the the guy who played bass. He's now a skeptic. Wow. So we we, we all kind of followed the same path and. And so we were there doing worship, and we had a youth group, but there was no youth. It was one. It was a youth. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it was a youth. <laughs> you have one. And, and we, we immediately started going out and saying, okay, what are we going to do? I mean, I was going downtown. I was going to where schools were. And within a short period of time, we were up to about 15 people. I had, I had baptized in a matter of a month. I baptized 13 brand-new converts, people who've never wow. – no, no, no church affiliation, no anything – so the Southern Baptist Convention, which is what this church was affiliated with, mm-hmm. that's what they focus on. And they said, well, who's – what's this? I mean it's 13 baptisms in a short time. I mean there, there were nine people yeah. when we showed up. They, not only were they dying, it was nine yes. people. They're, they're all 70 plus. 70 plus. And there's a handful of them. Yes. That's it. There's not even a baker's yeah. dozen. Okay. Yeah. I mean wow. it's, it's literally – and so <clears throat> we – so 13 new new people by the time – uh, a couple months had gone by. We were we were up anywhere between forty to fifty people on Sunday mornings within about a month and a half to two months. Wow. So I I brought it. You were not only were you you uh, proselytizing, you were really good at proselytizing. I was good at it. Absolutely, yeah. I was good at it. And so so I go ahead and I do this, and we we were doing videos of it. I was posting them online. I was writing blogs. I was creating websites, all these different things, and and. The, the the pastor who came and, and at, made the appeal for me to come and help out, mm-hmm. he, this, he was the 69-year-old man. Yes. He knew I was a Calvinist. Right. Right. He knew I was a five-point Calvinist. I had made it. I told him. That's the first thing I told him. I said, well, listen, I, I, I don't believe everything that you do. Right. But I had to, to kind of tailor what I, what I taught. <laughs> but he started to realize the influence that I was having. And he finally brought me in his office one day, and he said, listen, um, he said, I, I know you're doing a lot of great work. He said, we actually have kids here. Uh, there, and there's a bunch of them, and they're very active, and you're preaching three days a week and everything else. He said, you need to make a decision. It's either us or Tulip. Yes, <laughs> it was. Yeah. And he said, you, I, you have to make this decision. Yeah. Tulip be, being the five points of Calvinism. The five points of Calvinism, yes. And he says, you have to make this decision right now. Wow. And I looked at him, and I said, listen, this isn't the first time I've been told that I can't – you know, I, ha- I have to change my, my values. Yeah, yeah. And I said, so – I'm you really generally sorry. don't respond well to threats like I that. I don't respond yeah. well to threats like that. I and so I I stepped down and I and I left. Now I was going to Olivet College at this time and an activist. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of things with blogging, a lot of things with videos on YouTube, and started having a radio show there. Yes. Of my own paleo radio. Yes. Okay, that's how it started. Nice. So it started as a conservative right. radical thing. And you know, on, on campus there, and I, I was obviously making quite a difference. I did this video called the Olivet College Challenge. Mm-hmm. The, uh, David Horowitz. Is, is that like the blasphemy challenge where people had to deny the Holy Spirit? Well, no, not, not the same not thing. Not quite the no. same. No. Okay. And so, so the actually, the, I remember the Amazing Atheist on YouTube did that, and everybody started wondering if we were related to each other. And they said, and they were always posting these things and saying, you know, you guys look so similar, and, well, and it's, well. we kind of do. Yeah. And so we, you know, I was, I was like his, uh, his alter ego, and so or he was mine. Yes. And so I, I was engaged in this activism. We had a professor in class who who told me I, he, I was doing a presentation on reparations of, of many things, and he asked, he said, well, what do you think can be done? And He's an African American guy. He's an avowed open public Marxist. I'm not saying this in a negative mm-hmm. way. Yes. He's an he's an open avowed Marxist, and he nothing was a re- wrong nothing that. wrong with that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. 
and he was a recent convert to Islam. Oh. He had been a Baptist and recently converted to Islam. That's quite an interesting story right there. Very interesting. Wow. So he's in the back. We had a lot in common. He was also a submariner. And so we had kind of this, this connection. Mm-hmm. And and he asked, well, what do you believe could be done? And I listed a whole bunch of things I believe could be done. And then I said at the very end, I said, I personally believe in the power of prayer. And then I moved on. He stopped the class immediately. And he said, I would like all the students in this class to disregard Mr. Bannister's last remark. Now, wow. you're dealing with me. Okay, I'm not a pushover. I'm I, I, I'm I'm a relatively intellectual young man, and I'm sitting here, and I was an apologetics guy. You know, yeah. I, I had done some time with Boston Theological Seminary for apologetics, and so we get into this this discussion back and forth, back and forth. Turns into this big this big deal. Well, David Horowitz, the guy over with he's, he is regularly on Fox News mm-hmm. and different things. He picks up this Olivet College Challenge video, puts it on his site, and within a couple minutes, it's up to five thousand views on wow. it. So it's it's really fast. It's moving fast. And the Leadership Institute in Washington, D.C. gets kind of a, an idea for who I am. And they nominate me as one of the top 40 conservative student activists in this country. Wow. And they fly me down to Washington, D.C., where I'm, you know, I'm whining and dining with, you know, a bunch of these wonks and everything. And so, so I, you know, I was still being very successful in this field. Well, I was blogging at this time. And I had quite a few people. I mean, I, my, my blogs used to have comment sections of anywhere from 75 to 100 people. And we were debating we were debating uh, Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And I quickly came to realize that of all my studies, all my books that I was reading about Catholicism were about Catholicism by anti, you right, know, people who right. were opposed to Catholicism. So I started really studying it. And I became convinced that within the Christian paradigm, that was the best thing to do mm-hmm. was Catholicism. Yeah. Lost a number of my fans immediately. I, yeah, that's a big change for It's you. a big change. And I could no longer be a pastor. I'm married, and, and by this time I have <laughs> I have two kids, but I was pregnant with a third. And so, and this is before you were Catholic, this is before, remarkably. Well, no, we had one, and she was pregnant with the second because that was the first one with the oh, Catholic I name. Okay. Yeah, that's Athanasius. That's my son, Athanasius. Yeah, well. His name is Isaac Athanasius. Uh, the third is Ambrose Lewis, and the fourth is Teresa Avila Lucille. So... We have – our home is interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so they say, and you're a skeptic. Uh, <laughs> and and at any rate, I, I convert to Catholicism. I was very hesitant. I didn't know how to do this on my radio show because I had a, a number of people listening to me. I mean I we – we that station there, the tower, the, the broadcasting there was so bad that you had to practically be in studio to hear it. I mean mm-hmm. it was that bad. Right. And so what I did is I started recording it with a camera yeah. and then going home and editing it and putting it on YouTube. And then people were asking, well, where are you? Where can I listen to Paleo Radio? How can I do this? And so what I what I eventually began to do is I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and put my show notes out the day of. And I'll tell them, well, this is when I'll be talking about this or that. And you can go ahead and call. And Even though they couldn't listen they to couldn't it They couldn't hear it. That's yeah. right. They couldn't hear it. So they would call. They, they would call during the show. And the first week we did that, we had 15 callers in two hours. From all over the country, yeah, right. Even even in Canada, we had a guy. We had a guy in, in Alberta. I mean, we had people all over the place who called, and we had people communicating with us online. And so it got really big, and wasn't exactly sure where everything was going. And with Catholicism, once I be, once I became public about it, I really didn't lose fans because of that on my radio show. I did on my mm-hmm. blog, mm. but only for a short time. Yeah. You know, on YouTube, no, my my YouTube numbers were still the same. Uh, some of my videos, my I believe my conversion video on YouTube had uh, like forty five thousand views last time I, I wow. looked at it. 
And so there's a number of these these videos I've made that are in the 30,000s, 40,000s, stuff like this. So it was going really well. But we quickly realized, even during confirmation, during, uh, you know, RCIA and stuff, we once we were doing this, we realized that the, the Catholic Church, contrary to all the books I'd read, because I read only historical books. I mean, mm-hmm. I went back and said, I want to I want to study, you know, the first century guys. Yeah. So as I, mean, I was it, doing this pre Aquinas, pre Aquinas, yeah, way I mean, back. we're talking way back. I mean, we're talking Polycarp, Ignatius of Antioch, yeah, just a yeah. martyr. You're talking about early guys here, mm-hmm. uh, Athanasius, all of them, Ambrose, all of them. And so we're doing this. And as we're going to RCIA, I'm realizing, wow. Catholicism has radically changed, and it, and it really bothered me. It, it bothered me because I said, you know, it's not just change in the window dressing. Right. It's change in substance, yeah. which is difficult because the Catholic claim is that they're not only infallible, they are consequently indefectible. Right. They can't defect yes. from that, which is essential. And, of course, now they just I – mean, now you can do anything. I mean you can pray with a, you know, a, vo- a voodoo doctor for crying out loud at Assisi, and, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Even 50 years ago, yeah. even 50 years ago, John Paul II would have been completely anathematized. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean it, they'd be done. Benedict? I mean these guys would be gone 50 years ago. I, I don't have a problem with Benedict being gone. But that's – Yeah. Uh, no, well, neither, well yeah. yeah, but at the time, at the at time, the time yes. I said, well, how do, we, how do we explain this? I said, how do you explain – the, the, the changes here, and 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 even even Catholics embrace the general idea that that some of them embrace this kind of uh, Austrian libertarianism. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was condemned as social modernism as is is late as early as fifty sixty years ago right. here. And so I started being really concerned about this and stumbled upon a video dealing with a thing called sedative contism. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, the set of accountants ought to get the award for the the best anti-Catholic apologist on the planet. They claim to be the pure form of Catholicism. Yes. And they criticize the changes that happened in and after Vatican II right. with the liturgy, with theology, and, and mm-hmm. even mysticism. Even the way, the system of weights and measures with indulgences, okay? Wow. I mean, it's sitting there and saying it used to be done in days and months and years. Yeah. No more. Right, so their very standard of measures mm-hmm. is changed now, right? And and so I embraced this thing called sedevicantism, and that only lasted about eight months before I realized, man, this is absolutely insane, mm. right? This is just Looney Tunes, right? And but it's only Latin Mass. All the women wear dresses. Very few of them, at least during at least during Mass, they all wear head coverings. The uh, very 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 old hardcore school. old school. That's right. Yeah. They're they're very against music. I got in trouble because I went to a, a Ronnie James Dio commemorative party, <laughs> and I'm I'm serious. When he died, you know, we you know I was a kind of a, a fan of his a little bit, and I went to this party, and it was a picture online where we're, we're doing the we're doing the rock and roll, the goat horn yeah, deal. Yeah. And uh, and and the people they said, oh, this is satanic. And I was the teacher of catechism. I mean, I, I had taught catechism at different churches. Right. I had been involved with Vineyard Vineyard Academy in Richland, uh, teaching teaching kids there. And so they were really concerned, and they didn't know if they wanted me to teach their children anymore because I went to this Ronnie James Dio commemorative party. <laughs> and and so that kind of caused that would them. give me second yeah second thoughts too. So and and we had I had some problems. I started realizing just how how conspiratorial it was. And I'm not I'm not entirely 100 percent opposed to every form of conspiracy but i am i think there's a reasonable you know there's a line that you can draw and say man some things are just completely unreasonable right right and and just so you have to stretch so much and i remember the priest came up to me 
and he's he, there was a, a guy in Canada who had this very very insignificant blog. Nobody really paid much mind to it, and he decided one day he was no longer going to be a set of contest because they can't go to to churches that are in the parish system. Mm-hmm. So they don't go they, to they anyone's. don't they don't recognize the Vatican. They don't recognize they don't recognize the, the whole. They don't even system. recognize the validity of the orders. Of modern priests. So right. if you say, well, what about what about Father So and So over here? They'd say, well, was he was he you know ordained and or was the bishop consecrated with the new rite or the old rite of consecration, pre or post Vatican II? Yeah. If it was the if it was that, or who's the one who gave it to him? Even if they used the old rite, if it's somebody who was given made that way through the new rite, it's still not Didn't that count. way. So right. some of them, like Hutton Gibson, mm. Mel Gibson's dad, he's yes, a yes. he's he's a set of and Mel Gibson is arguably one. In fact, mm. that his the I don't church know if he's even arguably he, one. Yeah, he, well, well, he's he's on he's on the he's been on the fringe for for all of it, and so they they argue against him on both sides. But he had that church yeah. that he had built, that right. chapel, and a bunch of set of contests went to this church, and it was just recently where where they found out within the last year where they found out that that priest was not actually ordained say in the old right, and oh, so really? for all these years, oh, no. which mean, which means that the the sacraments. We're never so yeah no no there so, was no Eucharist oh there was gosh. no no anything none of it counted for them none it's of it it's like counted. they were just eating crackers <laughs> unbelievable and so it freaked him out and yeah. I said boy I said and, and you know you guys are, are sitting here judging everybody so so at, at any rate the, these guys these guys are are very very traditional in this way they they criticize this modernism they they criticize ecumenism and to be honest within the framework of Catholicism. A lot of their arguments are absolutely one hundred percent right. Hmm. If if one if one embraces Catholicism and says, "Well, I'm going to embrace this," yeah. and these are the standards: your encyclicals, your bulls, the Bible, all of these different things, the councils. If that's the case, then then they have a serious case to be made. They're the ones who are doing it they're, right, they're do- at least from a historical perspective. In many many things, yeah. but but the priest came up to me and the 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 blogger in Canada. Uh, because he couldn't go to church, the priest from Middleville would travel all the way to Canada wow. and do masses in hotels or in homes and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and most of them don't believe there's any – a lot of them don't believe there's any priests. They're called home owners. And they and they just simply uh, – yeah, exactly. Macaulay Culkin impression. That's right. <laughs> Works great on the radio. <laughs> yeah, you should have seen it, the, the image. Yeah. <laughs> Him it, was good. I, it was good. It was good. I thought for a second. I mean I, you, I had suspended disbelief. I thought you were Macaulay Culkin. See? There you go. And so, so – this guy, when he left, when he left set of Vicontism, he returned to Eastern Orthodox. He went to Eastern Orthodoxy of some kind, and the priest came up to me and he says, "Do you think that, that the Vatican got a hold of him?" And I looked at him, and I, I'm thinking in my head, this guy's a blogger mm-hmm. of a blog that maybe gets a hundred views a month. Right. I mean, like for real. And I and I said, "No, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't believe <laughs> that the Vatican is is doing this." Now, when I left set of Vicontism, there were all these videos put out there that I was that, that I was some kind. Of an agent that was, and, and it goes pretty radical. I mean, I've had Protestants make accusations, these conspiracies about me, and I've had Catholics make conspiracies about me. And the idea is that I was an agent paid for by the by the Vatican who went into Sedivicantism wow. in order to make videos and establish myself yeah. to learn about what they're doing. So that then your your apostasy yes could it could be a way to help bring other people. That's out right, of and to keep people from going in, oh, and that I goodness. could appear to be yeah. some kind of, of a credible a credible person on the issue. And now for the first time today on this very show, yeah. you are here to admit that, in fact, you are a Vatican spy, correct? <laughs> That's right. I, yeah. I've been a Vatican spy for years. I, <laughs> you know, And it's interesting because I had a Protestant accuse me of the same thing years ago, and I made a video about it. And 
the it was, I think it was just called Catholic Conspiracy or something like that, or the Great Conspiracy. <laughs> and the idea was that the Vatican had, had contacted my parents and paid them a substantial amount of money to pretend that we were Protestant, to send me wow. to a Protestant school, to have me go to Bible college, to then have me convert to Catholicism so that I would make it look like Catholicism. So through your whole childhood, they have been setting you up for this. Yes, and oh so I so, and, and these are on these are on YouTube. I mean, people can go and, and see Amazing. these and see my reactions to them. Yeah. And so all of this was happening, but as when I left Sede Vicantism, and this is this is really where where we bring ourselves up to pace mm. with now. Yes. When I left Sede Vicantism, it was in the context of a number of things going on in my life. My parents had divorced. Mm. You know, we remember we moved to Michigan to be near to the be family them. for yeah. them. And when they divorced, one went to California, one went to Pennsylvania, and so we were the only ones remaining here. Yeah. This was a blessing and a curse, I suppose, and. Well, when when I left Sedevicantism, I really, I really begin seriously asking the question that I've asked all these years as a presuppositionalist, as a Calvinist, as a Christian, mm-hmm. as a Catholic, as a Sedevicantist, and I and I asked this question. I said, "By what standard? Mm. Who says so?" And what I found is that in every single instance, whether it's Pentecostal, whether it's Charismatic, whether it's quote unquote Bible believers, whether no matter who it is. It's 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 to them it's it's well what what is the standard and and they they say well it's the Bible that's the main one or it's right. the church those are the two yeah it's either the church or the Bible mm-hmm. both of those if it's if it's the if it's the church that might make sense if the church didn't defect right okay and just change over and over and over mm-hmm. once it defects it's a house of cards right right I mean you you pull one card and the whole thing comes tumbling down if it's the Bible. You know, you just have to say, well, on what authority is the Bible even the Bible? I mean, and they say, well, it's self-attesting. And you say, well, somebody made a decision. Yeah. Humans made a decision yes. on what books are going a, in. A group of men group sat of around men. and decided what was the Bible. That's right. And and it's a, a self-contradicting document, too, if you if you really read it and you go, well, how come yeah, what's up with this? these you know, things don't agree with each other? That's right. Yeah. And people, most Christians, most Christians have never really studied much about their religion, really, at all. They, and they think the Book of Acts is about trees, <laughs> about yeah. trees, and but you know, and most of them don't really care. They live their life in a way where it's really not as significant as they would like to believe. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you hear pastors and people talk about well, people just don't pray anymore, people just don't read their Bible anymore. This is true. All of it's totally true. Right. And and there's many different reasons for this. But when it comes to the Bible, very few very very few people know where it came from, and that it wasn't always that way. And so you begin talking to them and say, well, who made the decision? Why is the Didache not in there? Why is Clement not in there? Why is Ignatius of Antioch or Polycarp? Why are these men not in there? Mm -hmm. Why is the book of Revelation there? No, very few people believed that Revelation was even part of any kind of authoritative canon until until Athanasius, Mm -hmm. right? Until these, these men came out and started doing this. And so... And I understand the, the need for it because when you have people coming in and saying, you know, give us your sacred documents or we're going to kill you yeah. and everything, they don't want to die for Clement if Clement's not really a, a sacred document. Absolutely. So they had to make some kind of a decision. The, the thing is a man, a, a group of men. Yes. Right. So this idea that it's self-attesting is just is, is complete nonsense. Yeah. So the, so Sola Scriptura goes the way of the dinosaurs. It's been a losing argument from the beginning. The church, at least with Catholicism. And it's even something that the Eastern Orthodoxy doesn't have. Catholicism has internally a mechanism by which to decide between one thing and another and say, okay, if there's a controversy, Mm -hmm. we make a decision. And then it's authoritative and it's believed 
that that is not only authoritative now, but that that's really been the truth from the beginning. Right. And so they they at least have that in there. You know, Protestants don't. Protestants cannot. And it's been it's been demonstrated through two thousand years now, mm-hmm. but more no, more so now, especially in America than ever. The idea of one Lord, one faith, one baptism is complete hogwash. Yes. It's totally unrealistic. Right. And all we have to do is open up a yellow book, mm-hmm. right? We have to open yellow, yellow pages or drive down the street right. and realize, or look at our family members and go to go to a Thanksgiving dinner and and listen to Christians talk to each other. One faith, one Lord, one baptism is totally a yes. pipe dream. Yep. Never been true. Even within a, a church, within a, a single family who all goes to the same the church, same church, they all believe in different gods. They will, and that's and, and that's they all have the a point. different take on the importance of faith and everything else. And they yes. and they would say, well, no, we believe in the same God. And you say, well, you the idea that somehow they can separate being from description and say, okay, well. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I believe God is this way, you know, you know that, that God would never predestine somebody or that God that a free will or that this is the way God behaves or or whatever. They don't think that it has an impact mm-hmm. on their on their definition of God as as a being. Right. But it does. And so all of these things started to crumble. And I asked myself, I said, OK, this is going to be dangerous. <laughs> I said, I'm going to shut off my Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to stop posting on Twitter. Yes. I'm not going to re- reply to emails. Yeah. I'm not going to answer my phone if I don't know who's calling me. Mm-hmm. And if I do, I may not answer. Yeah. And I said, I, I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to begin asking questions that I've been told you are not allowed to ask. And I said, I don't want to be judged by my family or friends. I don't want to be judged by my by the people I'm working with. At the time, I was on the editorial board of the Distributist Review. Mm-hmm. You know, they were there was a group in, in Louisiana over at LSU that was considering having me go down to LSU uh, and pay me a decent amount of money, pay for my flight and everything else. I had John Salza asking me if I'd be willing to, to co-author a book about set of vacantism with him. Wow. You know, I was interviewing names like, you know, Christopher Ferrara. He... So so you would have been set. Oh, if absolutely. If you had just gone, absolutely. you know what, I'm I'm going to stick with where I am. It's yes. easy. Even if I don't, even if I'm having some doubts, yeah. I'm set. Yeah. I, I can I can live off this. And I, oh, totally. Make, yeah. 100%. I mean, yeah. uh, John Salza, I mean... He his books. I mean, he travels all the time. I mean, if I would have if I would have written that with him, and my name would have been on the front cover with him mm-hmm. as somebody who was inside of Vicantism and left, I would have been speaking all over the world. I mean, sure. that's what he does. I'd be traveling with him, right? Doing that, going to Mel Gibson's house. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so I I could have, and, and that really kind of goes to show, you know, the sincerity of what I was doing. People yeah. may disagree with. My conclusions, and they do. A lot of individuals do. This is a given. A a majority of people in the world probably do. That's right. They probably do. But the one thing they can't say is, well, he didn't really mean it. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, it's just this irrational thing. So what I did, it lasted three months. Yeah. Silence. And it it broke. A girl called me from New York City. I didn't know the number. I I answered it. And she said, are you paleocrat? And I said, yeah. And she's like, I said, "Uh, that hasn't been asked me in a while. I said, but yes, I am. And she goes... You, well, you're alive. And I said, yeah, I'm alive. And she goes, you know, there are people who, who don't know, like, what happened to you. I mean, mm-hmm. you just completely fell off the map. So I, I gave her as much time as she wanted. I said, I have a pack of cigarettes. I said, I've got some coffee here. I'm in my car. I said, I'm going to park, and I'm going to let you ask as many questions as you want. Mm-hmm. And I did. And we mm-hmm. talked for about two and a half hours wow. about all different topics. Yeah. And so then I decided I was going to go back on Facebook. So I did. And so that lasted three months. I have a folder 
where I look different. I mean, you see me. Yes. Right? I look different than I used to. You look like a like a hippie. I look like a hippie. Long right? hair. <laughs> long hair. Unshaven. You know? And yeah. so so in, in my style and stuff. And so I, I posted these pictures, and it was called Three Months Later. Mm-hmm. Right. So three months of silence. Come back. People are like, oh my gosh, what are the what, you know what happened, what happened to this guy? Now for eleven months after that, as mm-hmm. far as I can recall, about eleven months. Not one status update, not one blog or vlog about religion. Hmm. Not one. I kept to myself. Yeah. I just studied. I just which, you know. which just proves right away that you're not religious because That's right. religious yeah. people could not go that long without posting uh, without something posting about something. religion on their on their status. That's yeah. right. And so so I, I, I changed my the religious view on Facebook, and it may even still be there now. I, I don't really pay much mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too agnostic. I changed it to agnostic. And I remember people asked me, and I said, "Well, I said I guess I would call myself an agnostic on my in in my happiest moments, you know, in life, as in my most optimistic instances. That might be what I am." I said, "Otherwise, for all practical intents and purposes, I am just a complete denier of God." I said, "I, I just do not believe He's there," um, and so. So that's really what ultimately led to this, and and I was still really hesitant about talking about different things, and and then you know I I started interning with a program here mm-hmm. uh, at Quero Cephas, and one thing led to another, and now you know I'm going to be doing a show. You're coming back to the radio. <laughs> I'm coming back to the radio. Yeah. Kind of the 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 sub story of yeah. this whole journey of yours is throughout a lot of it. You had been doing radio work. That's right. A, a, along with your YouTube videos and and all of that, and yes. um, had gained quite an audience as the paleocrat, yeah. which is a term that you yourself came up with? As far as I know, well, there, this has been contended by a number of racists who don't like me online. The Well, it's interesting. They, they, they didn't like me. They're trying to figure out any way to make me look bad because uh, yeah. I'm in a mixed marriage. And so they, they said, oh, well, there's – you know, Jeremiah says he came up with this word paleocrat, which is – it's Greek and Latin. It's two different right. languages yeah. smashed together. So it's this is uh, – certainly it's a modern word. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, I mean we're, we're making stuff up as we go with this. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I make up this word paleocrat and originally – and it still kind of has part to do with that. It was the idea that it's the old rule. It's, it's you know, where we get, you know, people rule or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of saying let's go back – beyond where we are now and say, has it always been this way? Is there something maybe earlier, you know, different things and ideas and, and, and patterns of behavior and values that, that might actually be good? And that, that includes going back pre-Christian. In fact, that would be the best thing. Yes. Right. Say, you know, before the influence of this, you know, missionary religion, you know, what did we believe? What were ideas we had about one another and our neighbors and the role of the state and things like that? Mm. And so, but yeah, I came up and now they did find a couple places where the word paleocrat had been used, and it was always kind of to describe, well, he's just an old Democrat. It was used to John hmm. Kerry, but that was two years after I had started using it. Hmm. So you look up paleocrat, and you're that's me. I am the you're the, the original. Yeah, and yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And we had a thing called the Paleocrat Society, where it was it, not for me. It was just we were all paleocrats, and we we would get together and we'd we talk about politics and economics and stuff of this nature. So so yeah, you know, over the years. The the underlying story is writing, mm-hmm. reading, public speaking, yes. activism, radio. These using mediums, mm-hmm. right, to get messages out there, and and get to this place now, 
where where you know on the 19th it starts yeah you know, it's it's absolutely. coming up soon <laughs> next next week monday that's so, right next yeah. week monday and so that that's that's really what it is and it's it's been an interesting exciting terrifying embarrassing tale and and yet at the same time to to leave there and be able to even have your father my father disagrees with my position where mm-hmm. i am now but as i was telling you before we got on air here was when he was describing it to me, my my cousin-in-law, my cousin's wife, she mm-hmm. said the same thing. She said, this really is an evolution. I mean, it, it's yep. it's not as if you were one thing and then radically another. I mean, sure, you were – you started out a Pentecostal You've charismatic. You've been a number of different things. A number of different things, but they were all – they were all flowing from one another, mm-hmm. you know, Calvinism and then presuppositionalism, theonomy, uh, federal visionism, you know, which kind of is the golden the golden brick road to Catholicism. Right. And then you get to Catholicism and then you start, you know, wondering about what's going on with the Pope and you become a set of a contest. But then all of a sudden you're questioning everything in the world. Yeah. And then you call yourself a skeptic. Yeah. Right. And so it, it really is this progression of things. And to say that I came out not only alive. Mm-hmm. But really, really happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm happy for where I am and and comfortable in my skin and comfortable with my ideas and, and not not at all scared anymore of uncertainty about various things. And right. say, you know what? I don't have to know everything in the world. I don't have to know with absolute certainty everything, and I don't have to rely on something to fill in gaps because you know what? Those these these gaps are are really there. It's yeah. very it's very human mm-hmm. to have these things and to say you know what we, we but we're we're progressively knowing more and more and more, and the more we know, the less we need the god for the gap. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and and, and mm-hmm. so so that really brought me to where I am now, comfortable in in, in my political views. Uh, you know, comfortable in the way that I view media theory. I mean, that's a, a big thing with the with the program and mm-hmm. the producer J.D. Sullivan. We went to the, the same school together, Oliver College, and we both. That was one of the big things we were into was studying institutions and, and power patterns and, and studying yeah. media theory and, and how these things work and communication, whether it's mass mass communication or interpersonal and interpretation. Right. You know, and that's and and really, it has really always been from the beginning. It has really been. By what authority? You know, by what standard? And that, that that's mm-hmm. been that way from the beginning, and that that really is the the thread through it all to where we are now. You know, it's uh, this has been a great, it's been an awesome adventure. It's been tragic. It's you know, it's been honorable. It's been sad. It's been amazing. I mean, it's, it's been all these things, and and that tension's there. And, and I'll tell you, it's I'm glad I'm glad I went through it. And I and it, if somebody said, well, if you had to go through it again, would you? I, I would say, well. Not in, not entirely, <laughs> right? <laughs> not not entirely. Sleeping under a bush was not fun, yeah, but yeah. but in a very real way. I know it's kind of cliche to say this, and it, it excuses some of the worst behavior. But if it wasn't for those things, I may not be exactly the same I, as I am now. I, I, I it's one you of know. those things. You're right. It's cliche, but it's absolutely true, especially. Yes. Now, as a determinist, I have to say that, yes, every <laughs> single one of these events helped form you into being the, the person that you are now. So it's important to go through that. And, of course, uh, following your father's advice from a very young age, keep looking for the truth. That's right. Absolutely. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. This is It's a real honor to, to be the person that you're sharing the story with. Um, and uh, I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah, this has been an excellent time. I'm glad you had me on. Well, thanks for coming. (laughs) All right.
And you can listen to Paleo Radio right here on Public Reality Radio weekdays from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. starting December 19th. Uh, listen online at publicrealityradio.org or download old episodes there. Also, soon the show will be available on iTunes. Um, you can contact Jeremiah at facebook.com slash jeremiah.bannister. Follow him on Twitter, twitter.com slash paleocrat, P-A-L-E-O-C-R-A-T, paleocrat. And all of those links will be available on publicrealityradio.org very soon, if not by the time you're hearing this. So, so thanks once again to Jeremiah for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. And we'll be back next week with another Reality Check. And now just to really put a cap on this Inception cast, thanks for listening. Um, we will be back soon, um, and by soon, I mean a little bit longer than usual. We're taking our annual winter break, and we will be back um, sometime in January with fresh episodes for you. There may be another bonus episode or two in between, um, but, you know, those are always a surprise. So we will be back in January uh, 2012 with fresh episodes. In the meantime, if you have questions and comments, you can reach us at doubtcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at slash doubtcast. Go to our stores, azzle.com slash doubtcast. I promise one of these days we'll get updated uh, shirts there. In the meantime, this has been... A joint venture of Reality Check and Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission. 